My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Okay, so you're sitting there, you see the calendar date, and it's going to be your birthday, and you're going to be 40 or 41, or 42, or 43, and suddenly life feels like it's over. Oh, boys, 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 men, men, men. It's not over. In fact, it can be pretty freaking amazing. And that's what we're talking about today on 40 Plus Gay Man Gay Talk. And I just want to dive into this with somebody who's already been on my other podcast, and he's done some pretty amazing stuff. And we'll get into what his latest project is here. But after we had talked a little bit about that podcast and his newest project, we shot a couple emails back together and said, hey, you might be a good fit for this one, too. And then he just sent me this whole list of stuff that his 40s and what he's done. And I'm like, you are going to be on this podcast. His name is Anthony Hand. And I'm not going to really tell you a whole lot because I want to leave the big reveal about what he's working on to a little bit later. But um, he's a guy over 40. Are you are you still breathing, Anthony? You know, are you still <laughs> not, are you still laughing? <laughs> okay, thank <laughs> God. Thank God. And I'm not knocking any of these guys who like okay you know aging hey it is what it is but you know i'm not locking a guy he's like really having a struggle with and i'm hoping we can bring some levity to that conversation and um you know just really some insights so have you ever struggled with like the whole aging thing i guess that's a good place to kind of start you know probably the one time i did was when i was 25 and i realized oh my god i'm one quarter of the way to 100 but since then i really haven't and I mean, my birthday's never really been like a big cause of celebration, but right. Uh, I mean, it's not like I throw like these big, you know, whole like these big incredible parties, except for my fiftieth. Uh, like, I kind of know. I'm like, girl, I'm going to call you out on that because that's not what you said <laughs> in your email. I'm like, there's a big party that happened when you turned fifty. But, uh, uh, yeah, but otherwise, it's a great excuse to get together with close friends and you know just reconnect with a small, small group of folks as well. Right. Do. Right. You know, I've never been a big birthday person. It kind of drives my family nuts. You know, we, yes, we had a big 40th. My 50th was probably the one that hit me the hardest uh, because mm. guys that have listened to this podcast have heard this a couple of times, but it's worth repeating because you may be a new listener. Um, so when I turned 50, <clears throat> my oldest daughter was, or our oldest daughter, my oldest biological daughter was going to college. My youngest daughter was starting high school and I was turning 50 and that all happened in like a 30 day period. And I just, I went off the deep end, not bad, but just like, Oh my God. And thank God my husband and I were, we went on a, we were doing like a last minute cruise and I really needed to be on, on that cruise to like, okay, things will be fine. But even when we got home, I was still like, you know, wow, one of them's gone, you know? <laughs> and the other one's like, I'm doing my stuff, Dad. I don't really need you, even though that was when really the oh. challenge started with her. But um, <laughs> it was, it was that was the one that kind of 
you know, kicked me in the ass, but then I re you know, I rebounded pretty quick. And then a lot of interesting things started happening professionally, mm-hmm. which always kind of seems like once we hit the forties, the professional stuff kind of kicks in too. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what got you. I'm going to kind of like, you just kind of start taking us down the path here. Cause I know jobs changes started moving you about the country, so to speak. So a quick summary to lend some context to my own adventures in life. But uh, I went to uh, I grew up in a small farm in Michigan in a village of 600 people. So a really sort of very humble background there. And I went to college and it was just like, you know, the the door to the world started opening up. And uh, after college, I moved to D.C. and lived in D.C. for a couple of years working for a nonprofit high school exchange student program called YFU. Then I went to Japan and taught English for three years. It had been a dream of mine since childhood to live abroad. So I finally got a chance to realize that. And, and while I was living in Japan, I got a chance to travel all over Asia and even went to New Zealand. Then after that, I came back to America. And this was now 1997. So I went to, or 96 rather, I went to grad school at University of Michigan and got a master's degree in software design, which was just perfect timing being in the middle of the dot-com boom at the time. And then so my 20s, uh, I should say my 30s is when I really started working professionally. And I felt in some ways like I was a decade behind my friends who'd already bought their house and already bought their nice fancy car and stuff. But in my 30s, I lived in, in Boston and had an amazing time living in a big city. So this small town country boy finally got a chance to live in the big city and and uh, started having some adventures. And then when I turned 40, that was when I moved to Chicago. So I had a, a, a dual purpose a 40th birthday party and Bon Voyage party. So it was a little mm. bit bittersweet. And I went off to Chicago for two years. And then now I've been in, in uh, San Jose, about an hour south of San Francisco for a decade. But it's, you said something that was really interesting is like, oh, I feel so far behind. And I think that's something that all of us as we age, we suddenly like, well, we either feel really far behind or suddenly, wow, things are yeah, starting to move um, a lot quicker, yeah. you know. But um, I do yeah. I do hear this a lot with gay men, like, I should be further along. I should have more. I should be here. And, okay, that's a reality check, I guess, to some degree. But when I'm working with someone in my practice and that keeps coming up, I'm like, okay, but what if you didn't think that way? What would start to be different for you, you know? It's so and, hard not to compare yourself to others uh, when you yes. especially like to focus on their successes and their happinesses. And, you know, you have your own path through life and, you know, you create, you're responsible for creating your own mm-hmm. successes and happiness. I know. I constantly find myself comparing myself to others going, oh, I wish I didn't have these six pack abs. You know, I really wish I didn't have a bubble butt, you know, I'm kidding, of course, but <laughs> um, but I can tell you this, that uh, so in my mid forties is when kind of my professional stuff like really changed too. Cause I got laid off from mm-hmm. my last corporate job in my mid forties. And that was the second one in like six years. And that's when I was just like, okay, done. I, I can't, I'm not going to do this anymore. And now I'm doing it again, but in a, in a, in a lovely place where I just love what I get to do. And there's a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in it, but man, that suddenly like kicked a lot of other stuff into gear. I started, well, I started getting in shape a little bit more. I ended up, 
it was actually kind of the beginning. Well, no, I guess that was the middle of my spin cycle career. I was teaching spin at a lot of different gyms. Oh, I'm like, wow, you know what? Now I have a little more free time. So I became like a spin monster. I mean, it wasn't, it actually wasn't even healthy. I mean, most of my fellow instructors were like, you're a little bit crazy about this spin stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, easy I guess to get into it. I love spinning too. Yeah, but 20 to 25 classes a week teaching. Well, <laughs> that's a little, that's a little, that's a lot, yes. you know. Of course, you as an instructor, you can hop on and off the bike, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But um, so but you kind of started doing the same thing. I mean, there was some like, you know, changes in how you took care of yourself and exercising and you did kind of a big bike ride and all this sort of stuff so so was it like a moment where you're like okay bitch you just got to get in shape and all this or did it just kind of like yeah i know for me even now as i'm working through like gotta lose the covid uh, it's more because okay yeah i just want to i want to just kind of feel good it's not like oh my god you're so fat and ugly it's like once you start hitting a certain age, it's like, okay, things, man, it takes a little bit longer to get up out of bed in the morning yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Does. But, but what started happening for harder. you? Yeah. So when I moved to California in 2011, I, uh, you know, I'd been used to living in the big city for a decade plus and walking all around. And I, I barely used my car for my throughout my thirties, honestly. So I just got a lot of natural exercise by just walking everywhere around town and uh, when I moved to California, you know, there's at least if, if you if you're not living in San Francisco, then public transit's not great. So I started right. driving my car every day, and honestly, within about five months of living here, I think I'd put on more than twenty pounds, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was not really happy with myself and how I was looking. And um, you know, some friends and I went up to Napa for a long weekend, Memorial Weekend that year, and. And I was just not happy with who I saw in the mirror. So a buddy of mine had suggested I join him at the gyms. And so it was, it started at 6.30 in the morning. 6.30 in the morning is usually before my, my alarm clock had even <laughs> thought about ringing. So I thought he was insane. Uh-huh. But since I wasn't really happy with where I was, and I, I, I clearly wasn't making it to the gym on my own, I decided to join his group class. And this group class was like 20 minutes of stretching 20 minutes of spinning and 20 minutes of rowing. So this was the first time I'd had like this kind of a structured workout and, and it worked for me, like nothing else ever worked for me in the gym. And mm. of course in the twenties, you go to the gym, you lift a 10 pound weight and boom, you've got like biceps and a flat stomach. And so in the twenties, it's like, you don't have to worry about it. But when I um, was in my forties and, and moving to San Jose, this is when I really discovered for me how to make fitness work as a lifestyle. Right. So I did that for about two years. And uh, my, the first thing of, of kind of interesting note about my fitness journey was that my instructor started training me to participate in this rowing marathon. And I thought I'll do it for shits and giggles, you know, I'll just sort of start the training, right. but I, there's no way I could row um, equivalent to 26 point, whatever, four miles. And, uh, and so one day after being in the gym for three hours and rowing, I made it through, it was fine. She goes, so how you feel? You're ready for the uh, marathon in two weeks? I'm like, oh God, no, there's no way I could do that. She goes, you right. realize you're only 7,000 meters from, from, <laughs> from a full marathon. You just did it. And I'm, mm. this kind of blew my mind. I really hadn't thought that I could ever do that. And then a month later, after I did it, 
um, I thought, well, maybe I'll try a new goal. And since I'd been in this class with spinning and rowing both, I thought maybe I'll ride a bike for a hundred miles. Now keep in mind, I didn't even have a bike at that time. Mm -hmm. So I talked with a friend and he said, well, sure. We can train with you for, for that ride because there's this bicycle charity ride from San Francisco to LA takes place every year in early June. It's 550 miles roughly uh, down the California coast. It's beautiful. And we would do these training rides every Saturday. You can yep. train with us. We, we start at 20 and we work our way up to 90 miles in a single day. And I thought, all right, that sounds great. And then I started enjoying it so much. I just went ahead and signed up for it. And, and I raised 10,000 bucks, which is wow. pretty amazing. That is amazing. Uh, and, and then that June, I, I did it. And it was terrifying and amazing. And I thought I would just be writing checks for friends. I never thought in my life I could actually accomplish something so physically demanding, so mentally mm -hmm. demanding. Uh, yeah. And of course, I, was, I got in that year. I was really looking good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was a nice but, bonus. <laughs> yes, it is. I always wanted to do that. And uh, we lived in Southern California at the time. And we were, I mean, that's when I was cycling a lot. I'm like, oh, I can do this. Cause I would, I mean, when I, when I got laid off from my first job, well, not my first job, but laid off from my big corporate job before the second one that I got laid off, I had a year off. And that's when I started spinning and everything. I'm like, I'm going to cycle too. So in the mornings I'd get up, do the job board thing and all that stuff. And then I'd, I lived in Laguna beach at the time I'd hop on my bike and I'd ride my bike all the way up the coast, to long beach and back. And people are like, I can't believe you do that. I'm like, oh, well, why <laughs> it's not that. And I'm like, Oh, it is kind of far, isn't it? <laughs> now, you know, 60, 70 miles a day. I mean, I didn't start out doing that, of course, but I was like, Hey, I love this. And I still try to cycle. I broke my wrist early this year. And so it's, oh that's kind of, that's kind of, I can cycle, but putting any pressure, you know, you know, even just regular, there's a certain point where you're like, okay, the hands hurt and the shoulders, you know, no matter how good your posture is. But um, mm -hmm. I noticed for me that everything started kind of culminating in a taking care of myself, eating better, mm -hmm. um, thinking of all the other things, you know, sexually making sure I'm doing what I need to do, taking care, popping the little, little purple pill, so to speak, and making sure yeah. that, you know, Hey, if I'm going to go play around and we're going to have fun as a couple, I want to make sure I'm safe. But also I had a stroke, uh, oh, two years. I'm trying to think now it's been two or three years ago now. And it kind of woke me up. Luckily it wasn't like a huge stroke. Um, it was enough that it blinded me for like 24 hours okay. and, um, it's always kind of kept me now on my toes, even though I don't, I'm not going to say I'm hundred percent, you know, Hey, I'm not the fit specimen, but I feel like I do pretty good. We get out, I get out every day and exercise. I mean, this morning I'm going to go swim and it's either swimming, walking, biking, something happens every day. I need to get back yeah. to the weights, but I hate weights. I hate <laughs> It's just like the strength exercise. It's like, I'm so bored. Really? I'm so bored. <laughs> but yeah. Well, the key is just making it a part of your daily lifestyle. Exactly. That's the thing. And I, I, and yeah. I know a lot of gay men make that a part of their daily lifestyle. And then they're still miserable. <laughs> and it's like, well, what else are you trying to do? If it's just, and I'm not, again, guys, I'm not knocking the gym at all, but it's like you can have the most gorgeous body and you're still miserable because 
you're more than just the body. There's the mind. There's the way you look at stuff. That's like paying attention to like, if you're truly miserable in your work, not that I'm like, Hey, dump it and move on. But I kind of am like, then dump it and move on because we work too much of our life, you know, mm -hmm. but even for you, all these things we're talking about, all the big stuff that you had happen from moves and getting back and being fit and doing the bike tent, riding all that sort of stuff. You also had a little bit of a medical scare too, right? Oh my goodness. So it was 2018 December and um, I'm looking at my 50th birthday coming up in just a couple of months in March. And so I went in, I, I'm on prep also, which was such a good thing. So if anyone's not on prep, I highly recommend it. You know, coming of age in the eighties, I thought every time I was going to have sex, I was going to get the AIDS virus, HIV, and then die. You know, so there is, this was the magic pill that I wish I'd had in the eighties. Anyway, so as part of being on prep every quarter, you have to get a blood check and all of your blood tests and do your full STI panel. And so my, uh, my insurance company also does an annual or maybe twice annually a PSA test. And so in December of 2018, looking, staring 50 in the, in, in the face, I found out that I had elevated PSA levels. So went back after the holidays and we did a prostate biopsy and discovered that I had stage one prostate cancer. And so this is, uh, you know, something that you never want to hear, of course. Right. Fortunately, it appears that it's slow growing. Uh, and there is a more aggressive form also that I think if you're treated earlier, you have, of course, much better odds with. So I was blessed to have the, the slower growing form of it. And so it turns out my father, I uh, very, uh, very hesitantly came out to my father about my diagnosis and he'd had prostate cancer as well. Hmm. Um, and then, so it, it does appear to be running in my family. Yeah, and I tried to get my brother to go and get his PSAs tested as well, but he's a straight boy. He's very supportive of me being gay, but you know, he does not go to the doctors if he can avoid it. And he's been, uh, he avoided it for a while. But it is, it's interesting because so diabetes runs in my family. So I'm very cognizant of, you know, and, and it may just be, I'm, I'm borderline, borderline, borderline. And I, I, I mean, I feel like 85% of the time I do pretty good, like watching what I eat. And then, you know, the weekend comes and I crash and then I'm like, okay, not doing that again. But I don't know why we, well, I, <laughs> I don't want to generalize here, but I'm going to, I don't know why we as men fight some of the stuff that we know to be true. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's obvious mm -hmm. this is, this exists. So be aware of it, you know, and, you know, all these other things that for some reason, as we age and then, you know, gay men, sometimes it's because we just want to live our life. We've been told we can't live our life. and da, 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 da. So we just live, live, live. And then suddenly we're like, my life sucks. Well, well, I want to tell ago, you, girl. <laughs> a long time ago, I worked for Medicaid and when I was working for a Medicaid of Massachusetts, I found out a whole bunch of you know, statistics and things. And one of the things I, I learned at that time was that men are less likely to seek medical care than women. And this is one of the reasons why women live longer on average than men do. Yep. And, and, and I wonder if part of it might be this, you know, this whole kind of like 
deep down, what's the word where you just sort of uh, manifest this deep down inside of yourself where you believe that masculinity equals strength. It yes. means I'm not going to recognize weaknesses. It, and, you know, being sick is a little bit of a weakness. I'm just going to just tough right on through it. Yep. And, and that's not really, that's not really probably the best approach. Right. And toughing right on through it can be, I'm going to just tough right on through this. And I'm just going to, I'm, I, I don't need a man in my life and I'm just going to tough right on through it. I'm just going to stick with this job because, you know, at least it pays the bill. I, I don't think we as men, and then again, I'm going to, I always have to go. And then us as gay men don't realize how much that mental anguish that sometimes we experience mm -hmm. is because I'm just going to call it the way it is. We're being stubborn assholes with ourselves. It's like, yeah. you don't have any, okay. I guess us gay men, we do kind of have something to prove, so to speak, because we've been told for so long, you're not good enough. You're not masculine enough, blah, 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 blah. Right. So there's this inherent piece that for a lot of us, it's like, okay, I got to do this until we strip away, I think, strip away that bullshit piece and go, just live, go be, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and go improve where you want to improve and yeah. love the opportunity. I guess that's a piece of the whole thing too, is love the opportunity of who you can be, mm -hmm. however you define you to be. And I think for mm -hmm. me in my forties and fifties, that's something that I guess I can kind of be a sassy bitch about it now. <laughs> I'm like, this is what you get. If you don't like it, well, I don't know what to tell you. You know, this is this is who I am, you know. And I've learned a lot of the power that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And the peace of mind and the less stress. That just like, mm -hmm. hey, this is what this is what you get when you unwrap this box. <laughs> That's about all there is in there. So um, what is a life lesson you feel like you've started to adopt in your forties and early fifties that you're like, yep, this is, this is something I'm so glad I figured out. Well, I think that um, along these lines that you're talking about for, for me, I've learned um, in my forties, I did a lot more learning about myself than I think I'd done through most of the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, I've learned that I'm really, um, I don't like change. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I, I realized that I don't always recognize when I'm in a pattern because I don't like change and I'm kind of like going along in inertia. So part one is to recognize that I, that it's okay to, to take a risk and it's okay to give myself permission to try something new. Uh, and, and, and I find that when I, when I do, take a risk and try something different that I, it may work out sometimes, actually often it does, but the journey of course, of, of trying something different is, is worthwhile also. Uh, and so I find this in, at work a lot. Yeah. And, and having mm -hmm. someone who can help me kind of understand when I am stuck in a rut and who can give me that kind of feedback on different ways to approach things has been really, really helpful. And speaking of trying something new, COVID gave you the opportunity to like dive into something new that you'd been wanting to do for quite a while, which is like the Rick segue to, okay, we've already talked about this bitch. So now it's time to talk about this on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had come up with this crazy story about a boy who finds a magic wig that turns him into a drag super Shiro. And during COVID, 
uh, I kind of continued working in the story and I finally came up on a great like end end story that I'm really proud of. And I, you know, and I thought, okay, I'm 52 years old now. Well, I guess at that time I was 51. And I thought, you know, I, uh, I've, I've had this cancer diagnosis and I had this other health crisis earlier in the year with my eye, I detached retina. And, and if I don't do this now, you know, when, no, it's not like Hollywood is going to read my mind and in sort of an ESP kind of way, read my mind and say, you've got a great story in you. Right. We're going to make this movie. No, that's not going to happen. And so I decided to sort of put some pieces together and I found a script writer and we wrote a script and I was so proud of the story and how it turned out for a, a movie script. I then found a character designer and I was so proud of how this came out with the character design and I'm just, I've just kept it rolling. And so now I'm actually starting pre-production in just a couple of weeks with an LA-based uh, animation studio. And I'm, I'm registering with SAG, the Screen Actors, Actors Guild, so they can actually hire like real actors <laughs> to do this. So by golly, we're going to see this movie hit theaters. Well, animation takes a while, so it's going to be a little while, a couple of years, but it's going to be really amazing. That's and cool. everyone I've talked to, everyone I've shown this, this little two-minute kind of adventure reel concept uh, trailer just falls in love with the story. They fall in love with the characters. And, and so I know I've, I've hit on something awesome. And, mm -hmm. and this, I, this for me, I'm like, if this is my only thing to do in life that leaves a legacy, then I'll be really happy about it. As long as I make RuPaul smile, I want her to laugh. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But after we did the other interview <clears throat> and knowing that we were going to talk about this today, I'm curious, do you think if this had come to fruition 10 years ago or 20 years ago, would it feel the same? You know, I don't think I had it in me to be able to pull all this together 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I tried starting a software company in 2002 in the, when the dot-com boom was busting all around us and leaving like yep. a nuclear winter in technology. And uh, so trying to start a software company at that time, it was a failure, long story yep. short, but I learned a ton of it from that experience. And, and I learned a, a ton of things about product uh, development and product launch and product support and bringing people together to make things happen like this. Uh, so I've been able to carry that with me professionally and build on those fundamental skills. So yep. I, I kind of consider that, 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 that failure to be like an expensive uh, MBA that I never got a piece of paper for, but totally mm -hmm. lived and achieved. <laughs> and it makes and so, so now much I feel like I'm in a better place. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And, you know, one of the things I've observed, so, it's, you know, like I said, in 2006, got laid off. I'm like, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> and I was, it was, it was some tumultuous years right there because I came out in 1999. Got laid off from the other job shortly thereafter, not because I came out, but just we were in a we were in an acquisition space. So I was in technology too. So as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh girl, oh girl. I remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember those early 2000s. They were they were not pretty. And then of course I went to a startup right after that. I'm like, oh, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna make it. And uh, I got laid off from that because they kind of weren't making it, but I had a good five year yeah. run. But as I started building the business that I have now. And, and if somebody had said, this is what you're going to do, I would have been like, Oh, no way. Uh, -uh. this is, this makes no, 
it makes no freaking sense to me whatsoever. And about three years into the journey, which would have been right when I decided, okay, I'm going to become a coach. Suddenly everything from every bit of where I had been in my career started culminating together. I'm like, wow, all that hard ass work I did in the hospitality industry makes sense now that I learned perseverance mm-hmm. and, and how to look at things through lots of different lenses. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the professionalism that came and, and why detail orientation was important and all. And it was such a huge epiphany because mm-hmm. I struggled with my business, like right out the gate. I'm like, well, hey, I struggled with a startup right out the gate. So just keep going, man. Just keep going. And as I started to see the writing on the wall that, hey, this business may not make it, I'm like, okay, you need to, you need to lean back into what you went through and go, but you had ideas how that business could have made it back then. Mm-hmm. What do you need to do now? And it was such a valuable lesson because I started to see myself bringing all the different experiences together to help me get where I wanted to go. And even this year, mm-hmm. as I made the decision to, yes, go back to work for somebody else there was a lot of, okay, but what's the advantage to this? And how does this fit into my current life? And how does this set me up to make my business still work? Because I still get to do quite a bit of my own business and stuff simultaneously, mm-hmm. need more coffee um, simultaneously. <laughs> and I don't regret not getting here sooner because I think it's happening nice. at just the right time, mm-hmm. you know? My first book came out at just the right time. The second book, it's going to come out. (laughs) It's going to get done one of these days, but it's happening at just the right time. And I think what you're doing with Maxi Lowell and and bringing this whole thing to life, you're right. You probably didn't have it in you at the time. And if it had been there, who knows what what it would have looked like versus what it's going to look like now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Exactly. Now, it's funny you say that just it sort of just culminates at just the right time because mm-hmm. there is actually, this is kind of a little, a small theme in the movie is that a queen arrives uh, just at the right time when mm. she wants to and, uh, and not before. <laughs> I forget what the exact wording of the line, but it's along, along these lines. It is so. along those lines. And what I love about this is things do culminate at just the right time. In fact, I'm coaching another, uh, uh, well, I'm coaching lots of gay men right now, but one guy in particular who's in the throes of the whole transition in career. <clears throat> and he was really determined that, man, this thing's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly. And I'm like, okay, cool. We can, yeah, let's march that direction, right? And now that it didn't happen exactly at the time that he wanted to, he's realizing the beauty of it happening when it's meant to because he's not pushing, he's not trying to make something happen that's not ready to happen yet. And Mm -hmm. I guess as a full, like, (laughs) come back around the circle, so to speak, I think that's the point of this whole conversation is things happen and show up in your life when they're meant to, whether you're 30, you're 40, you're, you know, you said at 25, that's when you kind of had your first, like, oh my God, I'm a quarter of the way, you know, to the deathbed, so to speak. I'm so glad for the stuff that's showing up right now because I'm much more prepared to be in it. Even not that life's a cakewalk. (laughs) That's what wine is for. Uh, But I'm so glad that I can look at things through a different lens 
and go, okay, cool. Let's go. You know, okay, cool. That happened. Now, how do we walk through this? You know, I'm going to bring it back to my book because, you know, it's my podcast and now it has come back to me. Um, What I've noticed (laughs) about the book journey, the second one is it's been a labor of love for almost Oh, it's going to be, it'll be two years in February that I started. Some people are going to be like, yeah, so what? That's what it takes to write a book. I'm like, oh no, bitches. I wrote the first one in like six months. Okay. But I'm realizing the value of this one taking time. And actually a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing another guest and she was on Life Uncloseted, the other podcast. And she says, you all need to read Rick's book. Frankly, my dear, I'm gay. And she's a dating coach and she's a female and she's not a lesbian. I'm like, okay, girl. And really? And she's like, because it's got such good information and it's funny. He's hilarious. I'm like, that's what's missing with this current book. I'm not letting my humor come through. I'm trying to be the mass. Like let's be everything to everybody. Right. Yeah. And that moment even though I haven't done anything yet with the book, it was a beautiful moment. Cause I'm like, you know what? She's right. I need to just like, like cut loose, let my inner diva come out. And my inner diva is not named Max Lee Luau. Mine is lemonade pop. <laughs> and when she gets going, girl, I'm telling you, lemonade does not put up with shit from nobody. And that's the voice that needs to, I mean, I want it to be to the masses. So I don't want to go too far to the like alter ego space, but I need that humor there you know, Mm -hmm. because it is a book about living your life without apologies, you know, and if you're going to slip and fall over your apologies, bitch, you might as well just get a new set of heels is what I'm saying, you know, but, um, (laughs) you know, it's like a drag minister. That would be, I, I, well, (laughs) people have told me that they're like, you really got that minister thing going on. I'm like, you betcha child. It's there. I was born in the South and I know how to have those conversations, girls. So let's get down on those knees for lots of purposes. Anyway, uh, (laughs) But um, I think this is such a valuable conversation that if you don't let yourself be in your age and allow it to be everything you want it to be, in my mind, you're cutting yourself short. And I think so many gay men cut themselves short because they get caught up in the, but I don't look as good. And da, 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 da. really, you can. It's just going to be a different shift going to be a different shift in what you look like and how you feel and all that stuff so before we wrap it up here i'm curious for you if somebody is really like they're struggling with this like oh my god i'm getting older thing other than slapping them upside the head and saying bitch just wake the fuck up (laughs) what would you say to them and he's panicking right now because he's like, I can, if you guys could see his face, he's like, he's thinking, he's like, that bitch just pulled that question. And I got answered now. <laughs> well, you know, this is kind of funny because now that I'm in my 50s and so many of my contemporaries are my, my best friends are within a couple of years around me also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and these jokes about aging, yep. I think, are, are becoming more common. And I think there's also an undercurrent of, um, I don't want to say fear per se, but, you know, we never know what the future holds. And right. we, you know, we talk about how, how wonderful it would be to continue like aging with our best friends together. And, and, and that, that is so, I think, critical to, to have those uh, deep friendships and continue those throughout your life. It, you, it's not like you need to start that when you're 25 or 50 or whatever. Right. 
develop those because those lifelong friendships are what get you through. So um, what advice do I have? Um, I think that one thing I talk about with friends is uh, to recognize their, their beauty of soul and beauty of, of just who they are as a person and who they embody themselves as. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, my friends who I, my friends who I, I, I make a part of my close circle, I love everything about them. And, and sometimes it helps a good friend to help you remember what it is about yourself that, that makes you a good person and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and helps to kind of like highlight those good things that you sometimes forget to see in yourself because, you know, when your inner saboteur comes out and starts highlighting every little tiny flaw, you yeah. know, you sometimes need to remember it about what, what's good inside of yourself. Well, sometimes you just need to remember, just go kick that saboteur in the ass and get it out of there. Girl. That's it's right. Not, it's, it's time for <laughs> it to take a hike. I'm not even gonna tell it to sashay away. We don't want to, we don't want to like soil the runway there, but yeah. it's, it's like yeah. literally tell it to take a hike, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that's not easy, but I think that's one of the things that's beautiful about as you age and you can go fuck off, <laughs> like yeah. it's literally yeah. like fuck off, you know, and do it in a healthy way. And, um, there's this yeah, Japanese think- word for middle-aged women who are find their uh, confidence in, in their kind of middle age. And it's mm-hmm. obatarian. And I, I like to think of myself sometimes as a bit of an obatarian. And that's mm. a tough word to say, but uh, you know, that kind of confident middle-aged lady who's like, fuck off, <laughs> sit, make, sit, stand up on the subway and make me a seat, man. I'm old. Exactly. Exactly. Now, see if, it, if it, mine would be, I'm a cougar bitch, and you're gonna respect this cougar. That's just the way it is. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Or I'm your daddy. Now let's have a whole nother conversation. You know, you've got but, fierce yeah. daddy energy going on. I have to say. Oh, uh, it's funny. We I were mean that in a good way. No, I know that, but it's in, <laughs> it's interesting. It always shows up on this, right? Then you get to my house and you're like, okay, where's Fierce Daddy? I don't, I'm like, yeah, that's just, it's not a persona. It's like, there's a piece of me that comes out. I couldn't sustain that energy constantly. I, I mean, my husband would leave. We'd be divorced. <laughs> we're, we're having, we're having a, uh, we went to have lunch with a friend of ours this weekend and he's like, oh my God, I'm loving your podcast and your Instagram stuff. He's like, but you're not that way with me. I'm like, of course not, bitch. I can't do that. <laughs> I only have so much stamina. <laughs> but well, Anthony, thank you again. We're so excited for what you're creating. And um, I can't wait to watch the journey. And I, I think you and I will be like conversing throughout the years as this whole thing comes alive. So um, wonderful. I look forward to it. It's always such a pleasure to connect with you. So don't, so don't you. fuck it up, man. I mean, <laughs> Don't fuck this relationship up. I promise not to if you promise not to. So I promise. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. Good talking to you. Thanks for being on 40 plus gay men, gay talk. So appreciate you, bro. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk, where the conversations continue.